Astro Travelers, and welcome to another episode of Tales of Tavat, a Genshin Lore podcast. Last week, we discussed the Queen of Delusions, Fischl. This week, we're talking about the Geomami, the m- motherfucking big-ass titty lady in the sky, Ningguang. Hi there, it's Bees. Are you looking for some visual gems? To accompany the audio anecdotes flooding your ear sockets? Well, join us at our website. It's talesoftavat.com, where you can see pictures, videos, sarcastic commentary related to all of our lovely drivel. While you're on our site, make sure that you check out our past seasons and special episodes, artist spotlights from the community, wallpapers to download, and some of our favorite Genshin merch. Let us know what you think of this episode and what you'd like to see in the future by emailing us at talesofdevotpod at gmail.com, following us on Twitter, Tales of Devot, or following us on Instagram, Tales of Tavat Pod. Now let's dive off the Jade Chamber into this topic of Ningguang. So Ningguang is the... <laughs> Ningguang... <laughs> I like the pause. What, what is she? What, as, what is she? as I scroll to the pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ningguang is the Tianchen of Liwei, which is Al just said, basically means she's like El Presidente of Liwei. And Liwei's only the second country we kind of see in this game. So like from Monset, we go from having kind of like, I know, Jean seems like an elected official. Like she was voted in almost to be like Barca's replacement. And also it's kind of picked by the gods to be Barca's replacement. Oh, the gods? Yeah. Who? 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 Because she's like at the dandelion night. Like that's, I don't know, that feels like a God-given right. So picked by her... Her mother's inheritance, her blood, <laughs> goddamn incessant. As you say this, I just picture Barbara like <laughs> glaring at you, like laying out her like instrument thing of like full of like scalpels and knives and poison. And, like she's like, I'm coming for you. No, it's just the truth. Like you're not the dandelion knight because of heritage. You're the dandelion knight because you earned it. And the god said you could earn it. Because your mom insisted on it. Screw Fred Rico. bones to mold you into that night. Anyway, so then we come into Leeway, where we have yet another full powerful woman. I loved it right off the bat. And I was a little confused on to exactly how Ningguang became a Tianchen or the Tianchen, since she's really known as a businesswoman and typically business and politics don't mix. I mean... Well, that's where Liyue's different. Like, everyone that's in the Qixing is an established business person because that's what they sort of value and that's what led Liyue to persevering after the Archon War. Mm -hmm. So they are all about business and commerce. And the leaders of that world are the ones who became the governing force of Liyue. And just a quick refresher for our travelers, because I feel like it's been a while since we've talked about the Qixing. The Qixing is the like police force slash governing <laughs> force of Liwei. Like I say police force because like Kaching and Ganyu are involved and I feel like they're kind yeah. of involved in like policing. They control the police. Yeah, they control the police. That like the Melolith. They're the government. Yeah, they're the government. They're mm-hmm. the gubs. They're the feds. They're a committee of seven merchants or business leaders. 
and they are typically the seven most successful in the Liyue nation. So that's just sort of how they do things in Liyue is like the seven most successful business people are the ones that govern the whole nation. Yeah, think of it more like an oligarchy. When we first get to Liyue too, obviously Morax doesn't last very long, falls out of the sky, basically when we get there. But the Qixing is in control as well as the god of Liyue. And first turmoil that we kind of see in Liyue is the Qixing kind of proving that they can handle it and the Adepti don't need to like intervene. Like they're like, we got it. We can control the nation and not make things go like whoopsie daisy. Yeah. They don't need a human babysitter no more. <laughs> Wait, Al, did you mean like we don't need a god babysitter anymore? Yeah. We don't need someone to babysit the humans from fucking up. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I guess too, that kind of brings in the fact that the humans, the well, specifically the Qixing and the Adepti, have a really terrible bond. They seem to hate each other right off the bat. And I can't tell if it's more of a just mutual distaste, if it's years and years of issues, you know, piling up onto one another, or if it's just a mistrust in each other. But there's a lot going on. I think the Adepti are kind of like, you are you can't do this. Like, you're not smart enough. You can't do this all on your own. And I think it becomes like some frustration kind of out of that, you know, that they have this overseer on them, which kind of once Osile tries to ruin all of Leeway and we prove that we actually could like fight the bad guy. They're like, oh, okay, you know, you could do it. Yeah, well, I think it's informed by the fact that the Qixing was formed right at the end of the Archon War 2000 years ago. And at that time, the humans, they actually turned towards commerce for their own livelihood. And that's what sort of helped them survive as humans in that era. So I understand that they do revere the Geo Archon and that the Geo Archon sort of ties into their livelihood, but they also had to sort of carve out a space for themselves in terms of the world. And that is really what gave them power as a nation. So I always took it as you have this nation that has been self-sustaining in a way to carve out their own space in the world as far as like flourishing. And, you know, I mean, the Geo Archon, like, great, he can do contracts, but was he really doing that much? And after this many years and his erosion and everything, mm -hmm. I feel like it's all sort of coming to a head by the time that we get to Leeway and he's, you know, faking his death. So dramatic. And so the Adepti are kind of like, oh shit, well, if he's gone, you know, we need to make ourselves look important or we're just going to be fossils by the wayside. Yeah. And if we come from Mondstadt, but I think a lot of it is in relation to how Mondstadt works. Venti's all like, you're not free unless you can rule yourselves without the help of a god. And I think Zhongli has a couple of lines kind of alluding to his agreeance with that, or perhaps he just realized after so long, it's like, I was not really ever needed to a certain degree. Right. <laughs> Like, I, yeah. I helped save yeah. people and help catastrophes and, you know, fought the Archon War. But the humans are gonna human no matter what. And they're doing a good job. Yeah. I mean, they're gonna fuck up at some point, as we saw with the Lawrence clan. But usually when they fuck up, more humans will come around to unfuck it up. Right. Like with Vanessa, even. Like, Vanessa had a little bit of a push by Venti, but that was Vanessa in the end. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because you look at Ningguang and at a certain point, she is the most representative of the human aspect 
that I can think of at the moment. She's ambitious. She's kind of like, you know, she she's she's a go-getter, but she's also secretly warm. Aww. And she's a lesbian. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> key to humanity as well. Absolutely. Who doesn't love women? Non-humans. <laughs> <laughs> So we've established a little bit here that, you know, Ningguang has her little battle with the Adepti, which is really important because it's not really her battle. She's just continuing it. It's the battle, the cheat Shing. Can I just... The cut scene where she's making the platform for us to, like, fight Osile, the, at, at a certain point, I kind of do subscribe to a theory that maybe she is not just human <laughs> because that's some mm. insane power. That I don't think we've seen outside of Archon level power. I will say I definitely at first thought we were going to find out that she was an Adeptus herself when we were doing the storyline, personally. But I think mm-hmm. that we see, and you're right, we definitely don't see it as much in-game. But like in the manga, we see some of the things Kaya and Diluc can apparently do. And mm-hmm. I think that Even stuff is Amber. pretty equivalent. Yeah, Amber too. Yeah. I think they're all like more powerful than we see in the game. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look at Kazuha even, right? Like, stopping the titty sword. Like, it's wild. I mean, maybe they all have, like, this sort of potential to do something insane. Like, a an ultimate ultimate that we don't so, get in-game oh, yet. Super Saiyan? <laughs> Instead of just Saiyan, it goes Super Saiyan. It's like when they fuse really? out. <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> you know, I could definitely see it. And it also points to the fact of how much of a badass motherfucker Ningguang is just like yeah I can do this (laughs) yeah we talked about it too in the Shenha episode which we can we'll get to a little bit later about when when we're talking about Ningguang and the events and stuff but she makes a whole bunch of like daggers and like sends them flying out and it was like what where did that come from she freezes a whole tsunami well Shenha freezes it yeah I'm sorry that's what I meant yeah but Ningguang like does that whole like she's got like this whole like almost like dartboard that shows up behind her and it's like black. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. To, when she shoots it at Osoil. Yeah, yeah. When she shoots Baisht. If we're being honest, I feel like our vision holders have shown some crazier powers than the Traveler even has. I, I think so. I, we kind of are able to pick up on the elemental, but it, it does seem like the vision holders, I would have just assume, would be able to do more than us. While we're very skilled in combat, and I think we're very cunning and sly in that in that same regard, I almost feel like we don't have as many tricks up our sleeves. But they always rely on us. They do. But I think that's just because we're the Avatar. <laughs> it's true it's pretty accurate (laughs) yeah good point we rely on our elemental friends to close the gap yeah like kazuha again sorry kazuha for (laughs) but also ningguang with the jade chamber because we tried our damn best that day but (laughs) we could not do everything anyway though okay so we've talked a little bit about you know the chishing versus the adepti and how that's like a thousand year old you know, bickerman up in, amongst them. So we've talked a little bit about Ningguang and the Adepti. We talked a little bit about who she is currently in game as a businesswoman and the leader of the Qixing as the Tian Chen. But like, where and how did she grow up? Like, where is she from? Is she from Liwei? We know from her hangout that she grew up from a quote unquote humble family and that her wealth right now all began with a single haul of fish. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, we ask her like, oh, you know how to fish? 
fish. And she said, yeah, I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Like she was not always rich. And she says that fishing isn't the half of it. You'd be amazed at some of the odd jobs that I've worked in my time. So we get this sort of picture that, you know, her family was not well off. They might have been quote unquote poor. I don't think that they were like destitute or anything like I don't think they were like that level of poor that some people might think because I do know they at least had a food stall yes they worked but there's also like a line from Zhang Li where she would see her walking around Liwei Harbor barefoot trying to sell stuff so I think they were just a very meager means and that Ningguang grew up having to work really hard to make any kind of money in fact in her hangout she says that if I didn't make any money in the morning I'd have no food for lunch and so she guesses that that's why she became so obsessed with Mora yeah and like her signature dish is Mora meat <laughs> like she would say that back in the day she would have to hurry home after work to do her household chores so there was some kind of structure there but then in the evening she was back out on the night market with her family to support their stall to try to make more money. So I think they were just always scraping by. Yeah, it's a nice story of like, you know, really coming from nothing to everything. That work ethic and everything that she shows now that kind of gives her that look of a ruthless businesswoman is actually a hardworking work ethic that she's had since she was a child because she had to. But she just brought it through into her adult life now and made her the woman that she is. It's why when looking at real life comparisons. As you know, I like to try and find a real-life counterpart or something semblance. I had a hard time with, <laughs> with Ningguang. But I guess like for her early life and her rise to quote-unquote power and her wealth, you can look at Theodora of the Byzantine Empire, Justinian's wife, that a lot of people forget because she was a quote-unquote prostitute. I'm not saying Ningguang's a prostitute. I'm just saying she came from humble means. I think it's been recorded that Theodora's father was a bear keeper in a circus during the Byzantine Empire. And when she came of age and became an actress and also a prostitute, she used that to her advantage to kind of just gain influence, which eventually got her to become the Empress of the Byzantine Empire. Mm, okay. I'm trying to draw connections with Ningguang, with Wu Zetian, which is China's first female empress and only female empress. And really the only thing like that can be compared with it is with Ningguang. Ningguang is really, because of her childhood and her upbringing, she doesn't care about people like where you come from. It's all about what you bring to the table. And Wu Zetian, when she became like fully empress or I guess regent, if you will, she made systems of promotion based on merit, which I think relates very well with Ningguang because she's not promoting people to like the Qixing because, oh, your family is this family, da 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 da. It's like, no, you're a kick-ass bitch. <laughs> She's like, you're in the Forbes top 500. You can possibly get this job. Exactly. I think we also need to talk about a little bit about sexism, especially as it applies to the comments of other characters to Ningguang in this game because, and we see this I think a little bit with Dory as well, where if a woman is super ambitious and wants to get rich, they are seen as greedy and kind of gross or undesirable or like just conniving or you know like there's some, there's some kind of negative connotation with it. Whereas you know if that were a man, yeah, we would probably still call him greedy in this game, but he would probably be seen as like oh that scamp, he's always after a coin. Mm -hmm. But when it's 
a powerful woman, people are threatened. So I think that's just sort of worth keeping in mind throughout Ningguang's whole bigger picture. Yeah. She kind of she deals with what we deal with now. <laughs> yes. The same thing. And there's a portion of her hangout in in one of the endings that you can do and one of like basically go off with her in the hangout, whether it be you're going to take a relaxing day or helping her with her affairs. There's one which I think she's basically trying to figure out a possible like rival who's trying to like scam people out of money. And he literally is like, yeah, no, she's 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 still a woman. She's a dumb bitch. Like, of course, she's going to fall for my scheme. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, this is Ningguang. <laughs> We're talking about this is Ningguang. <laughs> like, we all know that's the dumbest thing they've ever, I've ever heard. But there's unfortunately a lot of male merchants in this game that are trying to win favor with her but also what's the term where you like you are complimenting someone but it's actually an insult backwards compliment well Back there's that compliment? but it's like f- n- no but from like a man to a woman specifically is it on dissension is it negging uh yeah i don't know i forget if that's the term i mean it sounds right <laughs> but i'm too old <laughs> to answer that i need to watch how i met your mother again that's the only way i know what the fuck it is but yeah no being super condescending backwards compliments like oh like you're you're so smart for a woman right yeah. mm-hmm. and it, it, like this is not like her just being gifted with smarts she's done her due diligence she's been in the game since birth like Mm -hmm. this is someone who understands economics she's self-made exactly and i think a lot of the unself-made men of leeway are very intimidated by that yeah she's very she's fueled entirely by her own ambition and that is very threatening to men Mm -hmm. that is exactly the way it is in the real world lesser men yes Also, yeah, to bring it back to Wu Zetian, like the only reason she's seen as an insanely negative icon is because the rumors surrounding her, the idea that she slept her way and killed her way to the top to be the imperial consort to Empress, killed her daughter to, you know, get the previous Empress, you know, ousted. A lot of that is just gossip from men who don't want a woman in power mm-hmm. and you have to take it with a grain of salt it's the same thing with theodora she was an actress and it's only speculated that she was a prostitute i mean i don't doubt it because there's certain things certain things basically she ruled it i mean if if y'all haven't watched the puppet history nika revolts just watch how she bitch slaps her husband to save an empire it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> a lot of horrible like the idea of Catherine the gate fucking a horse men were angry that she was in power so they spread rumors yeah exactly and so the unfortunate thing is that it continues to this day and you know lesser lesser men lesser people you know we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to tear down someone who's amazing so let's talk then a little bit about when we first meet Ningguang and the Liwei Archon quest. So we don't know any of this about <laughs> Ningguang going into it. And like I said, this is our second nation. So it's really the first time we've seen anything different than Mondstadt, <laughs> which was a pretty easy entrance. Don't we hear about her? I don't remember. It could be possible. I was thinking that we heard about her before we met her because d- doesn't it tease us a little bit 
before we're actually able to go up to the J chamber to meet her. Yes. And I feel like there was something about someone sort of singing the praises of Ningguang and how she sort of, you know, up in her J chamber and that only her three confidants, which are her three secretaries, are privy to her sort of planning and reviewing of all of her, you know, secret information and that they'll sit there and write things down and they'll tear up all their notes on, you know, their pieces of paper and then throw them off of the J chamber. And that is like the, uh, what's it called? Like the secret snow. It's like the something the su- snow. Yeah, they call it, it's cute. The paper snow, the paper snow, I think is yes. what it is. It's pretty dope. So there's like all these legends about her. Like she's sort of venerated to this degree of, even though she's not a god, it's almost like a, she is the god of Liwei. I, I mean, I would call her the god of Liwei before I would call Zhang Li the god of Liwei. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's like, she's been around. Like, I think she's done more for the people than Zhang Li. But I mean... Zhongli has his, his own, like... I mean, mission. that's probably why Zhongli faked his death and, like, tested the people. And saw, yep, mm-hmm, they're in good hands. Yeah. Very good hands. And guess who stepped up to the plate? Wang. She has the iconography of her dress, like the phoenix of, of Chinese empresses. Oh. Um, the elongated nails on the pinky and ring fingers on both hands are kind of like... Oh, I don't... I can't remember exactly why they do it, but it's something that, like, imperial and like royal consorts did as fashionable mm-hmm. and i'm like every time i look at him like that looks like a long ass coke nail i was gonna say <laughs> i feel like ningguang's using it for something different yes very very different mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe we should talk a little bit about beto yes <laughs> You know, the it is the most the Beidou Ningguang relationship is probably one of the most common ships kind of out there because it's obvious. But I don't think I realized how obvious it is. They put it; it's in the hangout. Yeah, like the lady we have lunch with in the hangout is like, oh, like she thinks Ningguang's having a relationship with the traveler, and she's like, well, I just thought that was the second special relationship. You know, <laughs> the captain being the first one, and it's like the outwardly like everybody in the way is like yeah you're you're banging beta we know it yeah <laughs> why yeah. do you think she she refuses her suitors they're like are you cheating right now no cheating it seems no, like no. but that's what oh. the hangout like they're like are you cheating or are you open in the yeah. relationship like what's happening but I, I love that from a feminist perspective i love that because i think they were very careful to be like no she in no way ever slept her way to the top. Mm-hmm. She is self-made. And like the only person that she's fucking with is someone that is like a pirate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she has nothing to gain from power wise. I mean, she has a little bit of a business partner, quote unquote, with Beto mm-hmm. where, you know, they do. She does get something from Beto business wise in terms of like Beto sort of doing some of her dirty work for her, whereas mm-hmm. Beto gets something from Ningguang in exchange. But it's not like Beto is going to propel her forward no business wise and right. in, in the grand scheme of things beto's breaking all the laws and like yeah. at one point ningguang says to her like in a separate like conversation like you think maybe you can make my life a little easier and not keep breaking everything no yeah <laughs> it's never going to be a pr relationship yeah <laughs> but one of my favorite little like looks at their relationship comes from the lantern right from 2022 when Ningguang gets her outfit so she has that pretty purple outfit see it's at the cutscene at the end and Beto comes up to her and he's, she's like hey check you out looking pretty fancy Ningguang's like only a true treasure treasure catches the eye of Captain Beto seems like I've struck gold with this one oh. and it's like <laughs> screw me 
Speaking of outfits and lesbianism, <laughs> we talk about one of her secretaries. Oh my God. So she has three secretaries who are also her closest quote unquote confidants. That's Bai Wen, Bai Shi, and Bai Zhao. Mm-hmm. And Bai Shi seems to have a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean insane crush on Ningguang. And if you talk to her, you you realize that Bai Shi is like her dresser. Like she picks out all of her outfits. She puts on her perfume. She's also like deals a lot with like her daily schedule and stuff <laughs> like that. But oh my God, this <laughs> woman is so creepy. And it's so in, I, I don't know if she's in love or just in lust with Ningguang, but she is like obsessed with Ningguang. And if you talk to her, she has some dialogue where like you walk up to her and she's like, that gorgeous phoenix sash woven from gold thread (laughs) then that figure hugging silk dress and last but not least the lace lingerie oh my ah traveler where did you come from can't you see i'm busy picturing um pit Picking out clothes for Lady Ningguang. Oh my God. It's just that whenever I start thinking of Lady Ningguang's elegant form as she stands before the masses, or her silhouette as she changes her clothes, or her perfect body glistening like polished jade as she emerges <laughs> from her bath. I'm sorry, but this is the gayest line <laughs> in the entire game. It's so good. Oh my god. Yeah. I wonder what Beto would think of that. Beto better never take any kind of food or drink delivered to her from Baishi. Like, I'd be scared if I were Beto. And also, during the 2023 Lantern Rite, they kind of, like, implied that they were in a throuple with Yelan at one point. Or was I the only one who got that vibe? I mean, yeah. I don't know if I got that vibe. But I'm such a staunch Beto Ningguang that I I don't deviate. Like, it's just, it's them. That's it. Well, I don't remember. Like, tell us what you're talking about, Fini. So, like, there was one point where you could go and find Ningguang and Beto, and they were kind of standing right outside of, like, the main building for Leeway, where, like, you could ascend up to the Jade Chamber from there. And they're talking about playing chess or something like that. And they're kind of talking about mm-hmm. pawns and stuff like that. And at one point, they bring up Yelan, and Beto is like, well, maybe you should invite her up for a game or two. And it's very, like, mm. it was very, like, suggestive. And Ningguang was like, maybe I will. These are not direct quotes, just so you know. <laughs> they just wanted a threesome. That's all that was. It was only a threesome. It feels like they are inviting Yelan in. But was that Beto just being jealous? Because I feel Both. like they use chess as sort of a euphemism between the two of them. Because they like to play chess together. And there's a quote from... It's like patty cake and fruit for a Roger <laughs> Rabbit. Patty cake. Yes. <laughs> But there's a there's a quote from the peer laborers who are gossiping and they are gossiping about Beto and they say that Beto has beaten Ningguang at chess twice. The important part is not so much that she did win Ningguang's money, but more that she dared to. So the fact that Beto plays chess, quote unquote, with Ningguang for money is a thing. And then, you know, there's I have a theory that. Uh, Yelan and Ningguang are both a part of the spy network. Uh, you know, I think there's Yelan and Ningguang 
are very close and they meet. So I could see Beto kind of being like, oh, maybe you should invite her up to play chess with you instead of me. I don't know if any of you have read Yelan's visions story, like her character story about getting her vision, but it's very heavy, like a Yelan Ningguang story. And I didn't realize how close the two of them were until that. So it mentions that like, you know, Yelan doesn't necessarily see herself as working for Ningguang. Like she truly sees them Mm -hmm. almost as equals. Like they get something out of one another. But according to Yelan, you know, Ningguang gets intel, but Yelan gets to kill. And that's what she likes. (laughs) Um, Look, understandable. I I mean, you could say the same thing with Ningguang and Beto. They're on equal footing. And they both kind of, you know, get something out of each other. Beto gets to pirate. There's four. <laughs> so basically you find out that Yalon actually used to do this job as a team with a team. And that they actually would explore the abyss at times. Now, whether that means they explored the abyss as it being inside of it or being around it or looking for it, I do not know. It does reference the chasm a bit too. So, you know, you take it as you will. Basically, everyone except for Yalon on her team dies one day as they're <laughs> trying to escape. <laughs> Don't don't work with the Aeon. Oh my god, my little wow. list. It's like <laughs> Bennett. You can't trust it. Yeah. But also, doesn't that make like your fit the fantastic compass story with the Aeon like so much sadder? Like the idea that that might have happened again to her. Oh, absolutely. And then we could have lost Yanfei. Yeah, Yanfei Zhao. Ido, Ali, that was the scariest part. You could have lost Ido. I know. <laughs> <laughs> But it basically says that Yelan like locked herself away and Ningguang went looking for her and found her yeah. in her home. And Ningguang was like, hey, like you've been gone for a while and that's not like you. So I knew something terrible must have happened. So like, what's up? And they have like this kind of like emotional connection and Yelan shoots an arrow and it like, oh, I think it almost hits Ningguang. And then at some point she gets her vision. But it was just like this very intimate moment between Ningguang and Yelan. I thought it was very interesting that Ningguang was there when Yelan got her vision too which mm-hmm. seems like a very intimate moment in one's life so i did read this and what i thought of was that ningguang and yelan are exes <gasps> and you know lesbians love staying in touch with their exes and like being best friends with their exes so it made perfect sense to me like i'm gonna go check on my ex She's down in the dumps and I got to be there for her. So that also sort of made sense like why Beto might be a little jealous of Yelan. I like that with the jealousy then. I like it better than like the insinuations of a flirt for sure. <laughs> like they were a thing. <laughs> they had to have been. Right. And Beto's like, do you still have feelings for this girl? And Ningguang's like, I guess you'll never know. Okay, Katya. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the topic of visions, though, Lingguang got hers in an interesting way, or almost a lackluster way. Yeah, she was quite upset. <laughs> yeah, she was like, hey, when... <laughs> You know, when somebody dies and their vision's left, it's inactive, and I bet we can sell these. And... You know, her whole thing was, even if they don't reactivate on people, people will still be like, I have a vision. Like, look at me. And as she's coming up with this whole business plan about how she's going to sell dead people's visions, the one she's holding in her hand activates. It's as if the gods were like, you know what, Ningguang? Stop selling my shit. Now you can. (laughs) Here's one that works. And she was like, ah, shit. Now I can't get any money for this. It's mine. (laughs) (laughs) Which that makes Ningguang what? 
the second person we know who got like a dead vision, not including Cosmo yeah. using it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Next to Mona, right? Yeah, because you can't count Cos. I see what you're saying. You can't count Cosmo because his activated in a moment of I don't know what you call that. Yeah, like when it wasn't supposed to. Yeah, because it was only there for that moment. Like it was, yeah, like Tomo came through him. <laughs> oh, bad choice of words, Tiffany. Bad choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to take it there. I had to. I'm sorry, but no, I mean I'm not sorry. So. All the way through. All the way through. Like a fire. Oh hose. my god. What? No, you're making it worse. Oh my gosh. The fire a hydrant. Fire hose. A fire hydrant. Oh no. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, so Mona is the other one who got uh, activated a dead person's <laughs> a dead person's vision. I just like the fact that there's like enacted like never we don't really think about people who are vision holders who are dead i mean outside of tomo that we know his story mm-hmm. you don't really hear about oh this vision holder died and now his stuff's just sitting around here yeah all the dead people we know of were visionless losers yeah so Feeny, who do you think which vision holder in the game do you think is gonna die uh all of that <laughs> and then <laughs> who's gonna get it <laughs> who, who, whose vision is rana gonna get Oh no! Where she activates <laughs> it and finally becomes a vision holder, or Jet? Yeah, Jet. Jet needs one. Tignari and Sino are gonna both die in each ah! other's arms. Rana and Jet, Rana yes. and Jet are gonna fulfill <laughs> the prophecy, find those visions, reunite, and then have deep, deep love. Stop <laughs> it! Imagine the Aranara just dancing on Tainari oh, and my God. corpses. <laughs> oh. That's uh, terrible. That is terrible. My R&R would never be happy to see them die. Actually, the R&R wouldn't care. The R&R would be happy to see Tignari die. R&R don't care about, about death, though. That was one of the most interesting things about them, is they were just like, oh, it's okay. It's like, just a cycle of rebirth. It's, it's, just, it's just a memory. Like, you have the memory and that's it. It was such a beautiful... Like, I, I really do. I And I... I Sorry to take it off track there, but the Aranara Odyssey is so special in so many ways. And I think that it gets lost on people because one, it's long as shit. The Aranara are very like wise little beings. And there's a lot that you can even just, you know, you can learn from them. Yeah. That's so nice, Tiff. Yeah, I love the Aranara. They are very <laughs> cute. They're as old as the roots themselves. Meanwhile, you guys are like, whose bodies are they going to dance on top of? (laughs) (laughs) It's not like they would remember it five seconds later, so it's fine. They have like the worst memes. Can we talk about Ningguang's chest? I know we talked about it in the euphemism. It's very delicious. Her Her chest? No, no tea. Chest. Chest. Her game. Chest. The game that Ningguang made. Yeah, and I don't mean the one that... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just gave up right there. <laughs> so the game of chest. A chest game mm-hmm, with Beto. Ningguang made a game. <laughs> with Beto's yeah. chest. Oh, my right. God. <laughs> oh, forget it. No, no, Tim, go. I game. No. <laughs> game night. Go back to game night. <laughs> Bing Guang created a game called Leeway Millennial, which she was just bored one day. She's like, I'm going to make my own game and it's going to be based on the game 
C-H-E-S-S. I'm done. (laughs) Not going back into it. (laughs) So she decided she was going to make this game. And she has, like, she's made, like, two-scale reproductions of leeway and, like, the geography and the buildings and everything like that. And it's this gorgeous, like, set. Like, what you, you tend to see with a chess set, too. Like, people collect them because they're so beautiful. But she's created this and she's recreated it or changed the rules, basically, like, over 30 times because she's like, oh, well, now we need to add in this and now we need to add in this. Is this fourth dimensional chess? Yeah. <laughs> to nobody's surprise, nobody ever wins but Ningguang <laughs> because nobody can probably follow these fucking rules. <laughs> Because she's changing it all the time. (laughs) But in her eighth edition, though, of when she was making these, she said, you know what, let's release this to the public, to the people. They would love this. And they did. They loved collecting it and they loved the little pieces and nobody could understand how to make it at all. And when we kind of question her on that, she's like, well, I don't think that we should make it easier for people to, to play because that's not why you play chess. You play it to be challenged and stuff like that. So, but she's the only one who could ever win it. But now her new edition that she is creating of this game is actually going to have us. And she's putting, she's making the traveler into one of the little uh, guardians of leeway. Cause the, it's kind of like a good and evil. So it's the guardians of leeway and then the Fatui kind of on the other side. I love that it's the Fatui. It's the Fatui and Osile. Cause she's adding in the whole thing, that whole fight. Oh, so it's, it's child. It's 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 child and Osile. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that they all hate child there. Yeah. In the hangout though, she goes like, you know, she goes to different people that she's she's actually having like these uh figures made, which she runs into the perfume lady who's still creepy as fuck. The perfume lady is really, really creepy. Himaeus's girlfriend. Yeah. I mean the fact that she wants Timaeus <clears throat> is the she reason. Wants- everybody look she's horny like she really is leave her alone she's fine wait i isn't it weird that ningguang doesn't have a voice line about child she doesn't know who the fuck that is she doesn't lower herself like that (laughs) you don't think she's aware of what he did during the leeway archon line she doesn't give a fuck i'm gonna say that she puts that all as the fatui in general not just him because in that she does you know in her guardians of leeway versus the bad people it's the fatui and osile so i think she might know that the fatui was involved she might not actually know that it was child or she might not want to give him the satisfaction of knowing that knowing his it would be interesting to know though if she does know the truth about him just because we know senora and zhongli know the truth but that was also like a hidden contract that i don't think ningguang knows about yeah which i wonder how she would feel if she knew that too because of the children that's the thing ningguang knows everything because of the children she loves the little kids and she has those little sneaks just go around and listen to everybody's conversation and report back to her and they all love her like very fun like it's a mutual friendship between her and these kids yeah i mean when she was a kid she was running around the city too like do you think she was selling secrets when she was a little kid oh, too? probably oh most definitely can we quickly go back to the chess thing c-h-e-s-s <laughs> so i just wanted to comment on that tiff i think that one of the reasons that i think that story is so cool is that i think it parallels ningguang's role as the tianchuan of the Qixing because the tianchuan's role is to deal with the laws of the nation mm-hmm. so not only is she she the lawmaker but she also 
amends the laws every year to make sure that there are no loopholes. And part of the way that she does that is she looks at everything that Yanfei has done throughout the year. <laughs> as Yanfei is like poking holes in the legal system of Liyue for all of her clients. And so Ningguang takes a look at that and she's like, oh yeah, I got to tighten up this law and this law and this law. <laughs> so I think that she probably thinks of chess, like in the same way that she thinks of the laws of Liyue, where she has to completely always like make new rules, tighten things up and make sure that she's always on the winning side of it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe not be on the winning side, but make sure that she can't be defeated by someone poking holes in something that she has worked true, on. True, that, that's very true. I also think there's a part of it of like an, a historical kind of sense as well, because she is amending it and adding in the battle of leeway in there and things like that to kind of kind of remember these big events that mm -hmm. have happened. Yeah, to memorialize yes. the events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also to make a little a little coin off of it. Similar to the storybooks. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar to the storybooks. Mm -hmm. And isn't that also why they call her the tailor? Like, doesn't she have a nickname of the tailor by some people? Yes. Because she's yeah. always fixing up those holes. The tailor Liyue. Yeah, because she's always sewing up the the holes that Yanfei and others have poked into the, the laws. I like that she gives every citizen of Liyue a book of the laws, too. It's like a 280-page book. It's like laws. the phone book. It's like, here you go. Here are all the laws. <laughs> and these it's people like get the, off on the it. They like it. So Yellow pages, if you're old enough to know what the yellow pages are. <laughs> it's very Kokomi. Like, doesn't she give everyone, like, her giant, like, war manual, basically, too? Like, Goru's like, I'm not going to read this. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we're talking a little bit about, like, Yanfei and how Yanfei inspires Ningguang, basically. But there are some people in Liwei who, besides the, what is the word, the fragile masculinity boys out there in the in Liwei who are intimidated by her in power, but Xingxiao actually is very suspicious of Ningguang and is not a fan of her at all. And I'm surprised by that. Right, because he says basically that he is keeping face for his brother and that for his brother and dad and that's it like you know and for travelers who may not know Xing Shou's family manages the Fenghun Commerce Guild which is a pretty big deal we have an episode on it from season one but they're like a really big commerce company com commerce I don't know the words but they're big commerce people <laughs> specifically with silk and books and stuff so he basically is like yeah i'm keeping face for my dad and that's really it and he says that like he doesn't and, really want to yeah and brother and he says that he doesn't really want to talk like ill of her because of that and he specifically says like quote unquote i shan't speak ill of others i always took that as his father and brother have had maybe their arm twisted a little bit by ningguang mm. just as you know commerce leaders or maybe they're competing against her to some degree maybe they have tried to become one of the seven chi sing and were rejected like i feel like that's definitely something that needs to be explored in like a future event right but yeah i feel like there's probably some kind of reason i just always assume that it tied back to his dad and brother and like the Feiyun Commerce Guild, but I could be wrong. Maybe there's something even more personal than that. Yeah, I would be very interested because he definitely says it's more of like an obligation. And it's interesting because Shang Yun doesn't have a voice line about Ningguang. Like when, you know, mm -hmm. if you try to look like Xing Shou's friends type of thing. And Hu Tao, similar to Shen Ha, Hu Tao just is like, Ningguang is gorgeous. 
<laughs> so, I don't know what is up with Hu Tao. She's just always over there being like, this person's gorgeous and they're gorgeous and they're gorgeous. Or I want them dead. <laughs> like there's no in between with her. <laughs> but I, I do hope man. they take a look into that soon because I'd be very curious to know what the heck is happening. But I feel like I mean, we did our Xing Show episode in season one, and I feel like there is still all those questions we had in season one of the pod are still there for Xing Show. Like they have not tied anything up with him. No, they have not. Well, if the uh, the new poetry event is any indication, they are interested in tying up some of these weird outlying things that are in character stories of four star characters. Oh, interesting. Fingers crossed. If not tying up, then at least diving into them and creating new questions about them. <laughs> like they always do. <laughs> we love that. There was one that was sort of tied up and one was uh, one that was expounded upon. Mm, I haven't finished that one yet. I gotta get going. <laughs> I'm a behind in that. I also had a question about like the the plostrite. Is that how you say it? The material that makes yes. up the jade sure. chamber. Mm-hmm. So plostrite is a material that when it's powers are activated can float <laughs> mm-hmm. and i have a lot of questions about that because ning wong is like owns it basically like did she invest a ton of money into it and she basically like owns plastery i don't know if she owns it outright but yeah she did invest heavily into it and i don't know how much of her fortune comes from that investment but yeah she invested a lot into plasterite and we know that plasterite is a a mystical like ore or stone that you know was used in the the making of the jade chamber that's what makes it float as well as a bunch of other platforms around leeway and shenha is the one that tells us that it doesn't float until it's activated because remember in that second part you know after ningguang destroys her pride and joy the jade chamber by you know throwing it down on top of osile <laughs> when we do the other quest that brings up osile's wife shenha you know goes as as part of sort of the competition to get the plostrite to help the new jade chamber and she notes that then during that quest that it doesn't float until it's activated so that it quote unquote breaks free from the shackles of the mortal realm to ascend up into the heavens. So that's kind of shocking to me if you really think about it, because that means that I guess Celestia has its own stone or ore. Right. Which is like a ton of questions. Oh, so like Plostrate. So are you insinuating then that Celestia is up there because of Plostrate? Maybe. Or a different stone, possibly. Like huh. if it's active, because she says if it's activated, it breaks free from the shackles of the mortal realm. Huh. That's interesting. Because then like if we, well, I don't remember where we found it, but it was definitely in Leeway. And there's that theory, which we, we talked about when we had our Chasm episode as well, that Celestia maybe came from that void in the Chasm which would be interesting mm-hmm. if that's also where you find a lot of plostrate or is that the cinnabar a cinnabon is a plostrate no 
<laughs> Cinnabar, <laughs> like the Cinnabar spindle. You know, because we learned that the Cinnabar spindle, as well as the Staff of Homa, are both made out of a rock called Cinnabar, which also mm. seems to be out of this world. So it's very plausible that Cinnabar could be the material keeping Celestia afloat, and that, you know, down in Tevat, they haven't activated its powers yet. Yeah. There's also, for those that are playing Fontaine, there is this also, this other ore slash stone called Archeum. Is that the bluey stuff? It's like the greenish blue stuff. It was responsible for blowing up the Fontaine Research Institute. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and creating like the big hydro cubes that are in the sky. Oh, yes. <laughs> so... It's a very volatile ore slash stone. I don't know if it's an ore or stone, but um, there's a uh, character ascension material. I think it's Rithley's, and it's called the Tourbillon device. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that device says that Archeum has immense energetic potential and power to shatter the shackles of the earth and was once considered the key to the gate of salvation. Damn, what's the gate of salvation? I know. Not the door to Conria. <laughs> we know that Plostrite is actually very heavy before it's activated because in that quest where we're in that competition, we make note that Shenha is like superhuman and carries it all by herself. And that, you know, it's kind of like, how the hell did she do that? So are these other elements, I wonder if they have the same, a similar thing before they're not activated. Are they also very heavy because it seems like archaeum once activated can explode <laughs> i hope celestia's made of that risley has a technical consultant named jur juro juru i forget how to pronounce it j-u-r-i-e-u and that consultant used to work for the fontaine research institute and has this sort of throwaway line but if you're paying attention it's very clear that that consultant is very knowledgeable about archaeum and if you make it to the end of the Archon quest line in the Fortress of Meripede, then you might note that that could be being used in Risley's secret project that he's working on right now. Mm, okay. Interesting. I haven't finished Fontaine yet, so now I have a lot of curiosities. Yeah, me too. Although every time you said it, I have thought of... Arkham, <laughs> like the prison. <laughs> and I was like, hey, is Batman there? Batman, yeah. <laughs> so pay attention when you're finishing that quest line. I feel like there's something still significant with the name or like the name of Strike as a rock name. As which one? Of Strike, And I mean, Arkham as well. Because isn't there, I mean, we all think of Arkham. Well, I think of Ark, A-R-K. I'm dead. Yes. I was about to I was about to bring that up. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. Like, okay, Honkai. <laughs> oh, jeez. <I> mean, <laughs> Tiff is like, oh, oh god. The delayed reaction. <laughs> How many sighs do I have in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't say it. I tried to not say it. <laughs> I had to. I had to. I have one more question about Ningguang that I couldn't really find anything on. So I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts or theories about it. But like, what happened to her family? Did I just not read far enough? Are they dead? Like, <laughs> do we not know? I don't know. It's almost like she grew up and moved on. And I feel like a lot of the characters, we don't know too much about. 
Well, I guess there's actually quite a bit, but uh, for for Star character, you know, I, I feel like we don't know that much about their history and stuff. I mean, I could be wrong. Like maybe she says something in the hangout, and I don't remember. But I just find it very interesting because her story is so family focused. Like you know, I could understand with a character that's not family focused, but it's like my family wasn't well off. My family this, my family that, and now I have money. Did you help your family? <laughs> Did you just leave them? Yeah, like, do they still <laughs> own a food stall? Like, should I be paying better attention when I'm shopping in Leeway? Or are they dead? Are they dead? Yeah. I don't think that they have food stalls. I mean, we don't know that for sure. But remember, during her hangout, she's, like, wandering around Leeway Harbor. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of playing this game with Traveler of, like, we're going to presume that we have no money and we're going to make all of our money for the day. And she sort of replays her own earlier life in that way with the traveler. Just like when <laughs> later on, when she's like, I'm going fishing with my bare hands. <laughs> just to show how butch she is, in case we didn't know. <laughs> Beto's in the corner being like, I knew that. It just makes me curious. Like, yeah. It's a good point. Like, is there something else there or is it just a she grew up and moved on and doesn't have a huge amount of trauma like rocker chick? Jinyan. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I totally forgot. So like she has like that trauma of they were like, you can't be that. You can't do that. You have to be, you know, in the family business and not be, you know, a rock star. I have a feeling that she gave a lot of money to her family, but that's just me assuming that's my question too because like you don't have to have trauma to bring up your family like i feel like she might even have a good relationship with her parents yeah i don't i don't remember reading anything that implied that she didn't yeah because i would assume that her parents kind of taught her her work ethic and everything maybe they have a vacation home on the archipelago (laughs) they could be what's what what's that location in leeway that we still haven't unlocked oh that has all the wine osmanthus wine that grows wine? I need I need to grow wine. Oh, there's like vineyards? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like a full vineyard um, thingy. Uh-oh. I feel like I do vaguely remember hearing about that, Al. I think they're just like in a, a four by four closet in the JV <laughs> chamber. Oh my God, no. And she locks the door and doesn't ever let them leave. So no one knows that she used to be poor. I can't embarrass her. Beefy, can you please check on them? <laughs> Yeah, please, beefy. <laughs> please. No, I'm sorry. If anything, beefy is stealing their food when they need snacks. Props, <laughs> props. I mean, they could be giving it to the, the to the churls. You open the door, and it's like her family's just like asleep on top of like beds of giant like turkeys and <laughs> wedges of cheese. Mm. Or you open the door, and it's like Bates Motel. You know, there's just a dead body. Oh, God. Like I guess it's more like Psycho, right? In Psycho, they look in the window and there's not Mrs. Bates. It's the skeleton. What if they're all just working on the the crux? Yo, she was like, yo, can you go be pirates now? I mean, it's kind of alluded to that she's from a fishing family, that she has like a lot of knowledge and is like a trained fisherman. So maybe they're like, let's go be pirates and fucking fish deep sea fucking fish, man. Or maybe they like move <laughs> to like a a small fishing village to live their lives now that they don't have to work as much. Like a nice, quiet little life. <laughs> I hope they're just retired and rich. What if they're the people that are creating the fish weapons? 
Oh, no, God. then they deserve to die. I love that. I love that idea. <laughs> I want it. I want it now. You know, you mentioned earlier, you made a, a comment about could Ningguang be a part of the spy network? And that's been floating around in my brain since you said it, because I sometimes get a little confused on the, the spy network that we know exists. And there's the spy network, like, wink, wink, that exists, right? Wait, what's the one that we know exists? Sayus? Oh, yeah, yeah. So the ninja, the ninja network. Okay, yeah. So they're the ninja network, not the spy network. I mean, they do. But the spy, spy network but, includes yeah. like Diluc, right? In theory, yeah. Maybe, maybe created by Rasta, possibly. Well, we know for a fact, right, that Diluc is in a spy network. Like he's the only confirmed spy. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least was. And we theorize that Yelan is a part of it. And possibly members of the Feiyun Commerce Guild. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Shingsho we've even thought of, or his father. And Ayato. If you look at Ganyu's voice line, so this is sort of ties into like Yelan and Ningguang being exes, maybe. <laughs> Ganyu says, even though Ms. Yelan is absent from work for the majority of the year, <laughs> I'm sure Lady Ningguang must have her reasons for making exceptions for her. And then Yelan has a voice line about Ningguang that says, I got to know Ningguang a long time ago before she was a Qixing, and we worked together for a while. Maybe I'm partly to thank for the fact that she became a Qixing so quickly. <laughs> Who can say? Anyway, she was the one who recommended this job to me. It was a good choice. I'm very well suited to it. So if you think about the fact that, I mean, you you could sort of go two different ways. Yelan is Ningguang's ex. Ningguang's doing like a Nepo baby thing. Like, I'll get you this job. Here you go. You don't have to show up to work. But, you know, we know that Yelan is into spying and shit. So it would make sense to me if Yelan is a part of the spy network and that she's sort of like Ningguang's spy official like i'm hiring you to do this but really what you're really going to do is you're going to be my spy network person while i handle all this other stuff so the idea is that ningguang is in the spy network but yelan is doing it by proxy for ningguang yeah like yelan is her boots on the ground i got it i mean i think that makes a hundred percent sense i mean yeah especially with all these people out to get ningguang too like she would need to kind of have someone else doing it for her to not get caught. <laughs> not just the little kids. <laughs> and she's the richest person in Liyue, just like Diluc is the richest person in Mondstadt. And Ayato seems to be one of the richest in, in Azuma. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's also interesting because when you think of Ayato, it would seem like Toma is his boots on the ground. And then yeah. even with Diluc, Adeline, and oh my God, what is his name? I always think he's the freaking disease from Sumeru. And Elzer. Elzer, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was... I remember the one time Brandon was messaging us in the group chat and he wrote El- Elazar and I was like, Elzer? What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my oh, goodness. <laughs> now, wait, does this mean that Dory is in the spy network for Sumeru? I mean, I think... It's possible. Wouldn't that be like a nice redeeming story for her? No. Since everyone's sexist and hates her because she's ambitious. I don't hate her because she's ambitious. <laughs> I hate her for you other hate her reasons. For another reason? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad that what she did with support Kaveh. 
He should have been a little smarter. I'm not going to lie. But what if Kave is her boots on the ground? I mean, <laughs> they really fooled me if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that would make sense because like Adeline knows so much about Diluc and Adeline was one of the few people who kind of had an idea of what he was doing. And she suggests that like Kaya also knew what Diluc was up to at times. And Adeline is the one that all the other maids at the diner at the winery that think are like a cannibal. Like they're like, she's a cannibal. She's locking people up in the room, but she might actually be locking people up for Diluc. <laughs> For him to eat them? No. Diluc's a cannibal right no, there. No, for him to question them. <laughs> no cannibalism except for Dodoray. <laughs> <laughs> Just Dodoray getting that, that arm. <laughs> you know what I keep thinking of every time we talk about it? I keep thinking of like when you go to the Renaissance Fair and you get like a giant turkey leg. Like that's oh my <laughs> <God. laughs> that's yeah. Dora Ray with the arms. <laughs> <laughs> like what you you don't want any of this? You sure? <laughs> when the arm hits your lap. Nah. <laughs> I know that, you know, in Sumeru, we don't really necessarily know who the spy network is yet. We've talked about it currently being Dory. We've talked about being Alhatham or Sino in the past. I honestly think if you are gonna pick someone out of Sumeru, it Candace really makes the most sense. Oh. I think that she has more people who could be her, like, feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, while she's only a four-star, I do think that she has that story of, like, where they're like, she's got the like the reincarnation within her and like Deshrit and all that jazz. Like, and she is very smart. We learn that very quickly during the Archon line. She's very politically savvy in a way that a spy would have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's also very neutral. Like, she's at the crossroads of different factions. Mm-hmm. So that does make a lot of sense. And she crosses the line in between them as well. So. I guess in that same neutrality. Despite having like desert ties very quick to help the people of, of Sumeru yeah. City, unlike many other people of the desert. But spy networks aside, I do think that's all the time we have for today. Did you guys want to add anything else in? She's not Grey Shang. <laughs> okay. I agree. <laughs> Definitely no reincarnation here. Yeah, before, there, there was a big theory that Ningguang was Gui Shang reincarnated. I'm like, uh, no. 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 She really should be a five star. I, I'm she was supposed to be. She was. And then the developers were like, oh shit, we have a lot of geo puzzles. Hold up. Yeah, but they get you have you have traveler though. Yeah, exactly. It would have been fine for Traveler. I'm but dead. they were like, well, Ningguang should have been a five star, but they made her a four star for a variety. Listen, it was puzzles. it was early on in game development for them. They didn't know if people were gonna actually want to use Geo Traveler after they spent so much time building Animo Traveler. Meanwhile, they're just now about to finally give us more Geo characters. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my god. Finally! Navia, my love. All we need is Albedo. But anyway. That's all the time we have for today. (laughs) Thank you, travelers, for 
talking about a lot. We covered a lot of information in this episode besides Ningguang, but I think Ningguang is just connected to so many things across Tevat, not just in Liwei. If you like this episode and you want to let us know what you thought or you want to suggest topics for the future, please feel free to shoot us an email at talesoftevatpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Tales of Tavat, or Instagram, Tales of Tavat Pod. Additionally, you can also choose to buy us a cup of coffee on Kofi, not Kofi, as I've often mispronounced it, but there is no pressure there either. Next week, travelers, we are going to be talking about, and Tiff secretly alluded to this, Sayu and the Shumatsuban. So we hope you come back to learn about more spying. In the meantime, safe journeys, travelers. We'll see you next time. Bye, lesbians. <laughs> You've been wanting to say that for three seasons. <laughs> yes. yes. I mean, I think it at the end of every episode. <laughs> <laughs>